What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. A great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim, we are about to embarrass ourselves in a way... <laughs> That uh, has happened only a few times on this show. Uh, Some people would say it happens weekly. Yes, but more so than ever when we do this particular show. It's Guilty Pleasures. We are going to reveal the songs that bring us the most pleasure in spite of our better instincts. Every bone in our body tells us this is wrong, this is bad, this is bad for you. You shouldn't be liking this particular kind of music. And yet we can't help ourselves. Theoretically, we are paid for our tastes and our discerning ears. But here we are going to admit that occasionally we have lapses in taste. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I mean, there is an upside here. We are men enough to admit them. But we're not venturing into the wilderness alone. We're not exposing ourselves (laughs) by ourselves. Uh, We are being joined by some of our closest and dearest friends, the listeners to this show, who have been brave enough to uh, reveal their own particular guilty pleasures as well. And we're going to be getting into a well, lot of those let's later Let's face on. it, everybody has them. Everybody has them. You know, maybe, well, maybe the guys at Pitchfork Media are too hip to admit that they have them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, every other sane music listener here has a lapse in his or her taste. And, uh, and it's how much fun can you have with it. That's, Absolutely. That's the point of this show. Guilty. Guilty. So as we traditionally uh, do when we start these shows, like Buried Treasures or the Year End Show or a Guilty Pleasure Show, Matt Fingerspiegel, our intrepid producer, comes in here and he flips the coin. What's on the coin, Matt? It's uh, you on one side, Jim. Yeah. And Greg on the other. Oh, okay. I thought it was Sarah Val on one side and David Sedaris on the other, now that we've moved to public radio, but no. All right. Jim, you call Jim or Greg. All right. I will call Greg, because I want him to embarrass himself. It's Jim. Oh, that means I... (laughs) Oh, all right. Good. It is Greg first. Good. You soil yourself first, Mr. I'm not quite sure how we got to that point, but... um, (laughs) He rigs it every time. Usually he has you win, though. You know, Jim, I I, I actually do enjoy the show, because um, even though we are sort of revealing things we're supposedly embarrassed, I'm not really embarrassed about any of this stuff. And I've got to go right to uh, Naughty by Nature to start things off. Oh, OPP? Yeah, you got it, man. Uh... Totally indefensible lyric, Jim. I, I think you'll have to agree. It's a, it's a lyric about booty, um, but it's the best wave them like you just don't care rap song maybe ever, as far as I'm concerned. You know that, hey, oh, <laughs> you're down yeah. with OPP, yeah, you know me. What I mean, was, that is irresistible. I mean, I may be proving myself. I mean, maybe I've blocked it out of my memory, but what was what did OPP well, stand see, for? Well, see, now now we're getting into some dicey ground oh, here. All we're right. getting into kind of ground <laughs> that could get thrown us off the radio. But Jim Russell say, alert. Other people's property, uh, property and, and, uh, and I'm and I'm fudging it a little bit for uh, radio purposes. But uh, this East Orange uh, trio, Treach, Vinny, KG, 
uh, came up with this kind of very catchy song about, uh, uh, you know, about about sex. Let's face it, you know, yeah. uh, you know, they wedded it to this the, the, this kind of gritty lyric to a, uh, a can't miss Jackson Five sample of ABC, mm-hmm. and then they put this incredible arm waving chorus over the top of it. I can't get enough of this song. <laughs> Even though I know when you're talking about sexist property, it's pretty vile stuff. But and you know even what? though I mean, it was it was played every seven minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, for for what was it? What what year did it come out? Ninety yeah, one. It was ninety one. It, it was a top ten hit. Yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah, you're right. It aired every ten minutes on MTV. Yeah. It's like they play that video, then they play another video, and then they play OPP again. And then thankfully, Nevermind yeah. by Nirvana came yeah. out and Smells Like Teen Spirit erased it all. Yeah, but this was you know this was also the era of Vanilla Ice and uh, Hammer and people like that. I thought Naughty by Na- Nature was kind of a breath of fresh. <laughs> In the of all I that. guess in comparison, <laughs> yeah. uh, it could be worse. You could be confessing fondness for Vanilla Ice right now. But so, so here's a little bit of "Hey Ho, You Down with OPP." Yeah, you know me. Uh, that's one of my guilty pleasures, Jim. I'm uh, I'm not ashamed to admit it. On Sound Opinions. Right, Jim, I have gone to the confessional first. Uh, I have confessed that OPP is one of my prime guilty pleasures from Naughty by Nature. Now it's your turn. you gotta, you got to step up to the plate here, my man. Well, we are. And I will note here that you and I are leading these off. We're going to do a couple each, and then we're going to get to some of our callers because we're going to yes. spread the, you know, I mean, it's kind of a group therapy session. Mm-hmm. And yes. the first step is admitting we all have problems. <laughs> Uh, but since you started in the hip-hop vein, I will uh, continue. I have in the past previous Guilty Pleasures championed, and I was tempted. I'm always tempted to go back, you know, to Tone Loke because there's so many, you know, <laughs> Funky Cold Medina, not just Wild Thing, and uh, La Trim, you know, uh-huh. the cars that go boom. Yeah. I, those have been two of my all-time favorites. But I think that the modern equivalent, the much more recent equivalent, and I got more are you crazy you should be fired and or retired immediately email <laughs> for championing this than almost anything else in in recent history and you know there, there's a show sometime uh-huh. if we have a, if we have to like to do an expanded six or seven hour version of Sentiment, we just can read some of our hate mail. <laughs> uh, not that we encourage this, but you can always interact with us at Sound Opinions. <laughs> interact at soundopinions.org. Uh, but I think, you know, I think there's a fine history of uh, high quality cheese in hip hop. Mm-hmm. Uh, there always has been. You know, OPP counts, and, and so does uh, Wild Thing by Tone Loke. 
so does the Black Eyed Peas. Because I think Will I Am is a very, very, very clever producer. And I think that this multi culty, uh, you know, women and men combo, Black Eyed Peas, uh, that he's put together is just hip pop, P O P, at its best. Mm-hmm. I-, I think they make great, stupid music. And I won't apologize for liking it. I loved Monkey Business, their 2005 album. And I really, really loved. This single, where Fergie, you know, I mean, I think part of the the, the reason people get upset is because the Black Eyed Peas were once, early in their career, sort of a credible band. Yes. You know, they were doing sort of a a low-rent version of what the Roots are doing in terms of mixing live instrumentation and Mm -hmm. hip-hop. They were never that good, but they were more credible than they are now when they've become living cartoon characters available for sale to the highest bidder. There's no product they won't endorse, (laughs) especially when they brought in, uh, you know, Stacey Ferguson, Fergie, as as we like like to call our we <laughs> peas fans. I mean, hey, there's a great tradition in hip hop of the sexy female body part song. You know, whether you go back to Mix a Lot, yet another of my guilty pleasures, <laughs> and Baby's Got Back, or Kelis and Milkshake, we were talking about last year. I think my humps. It, it was a classic. You know, you know, you, you gotta love her humps, her humps, her lovely lady lumps. You are a brave, brave man for admitting that. I Jim. will I apologize not oh for liking God. this song. It's my humps by the Black Eyed Peas on Sad Opinions. What you gonna do with all that junk, all that junk inside your trunk? I'ma get, 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 get you drunk, get you love drunk off my hump, 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 my lovely little lumps, check it out. I drive these brothers crazy, I do it on the daily, they treat me really nicely, they buy me all these ices, Dolce and Gabbana, Fendi and Madonna, Karen, they be sharing all their money. by the Black Eyed Peas. What you gonna do with all that boy, junk oh in boy, your trunk? Oh boy. That's a dumb uh, song. But you know, but we're gonna I walk am. on the street after this show and justify that. I, I love it. I My love God. it, man. And you haven't lived until you've been in an arena, you know, and 22,000 kids are grooving well, to that and singing, let's get retarded, let's get this party started. There, there's the key to a lot of this stuff. Um, I am going to completely justify my love for the next guilty pleasure of mine on that basis. You have not fully appreciated this artist's talents, hidden though they may be, <laughs> until you have seen him perform. Uh, and that was my conversion process, uh, Neil Diamond. Um, oh. I have I have this weird thing uh, with Neil Diamond music. I, I really don't enjoy listening to it in a stereo or a, a, in the car, uh, but put in front of him at a stadium filled with 20,000 <laughs> Neil Diamond apostles. I mean, it is Few just of them under 60. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Although I got to say, there's a, there's a, he is drawing this younger crowd, which I think uh, may have in part been brought to his music by 
urge overkills cover yeah. of Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon in the Quentin Tarantino movie uh, yeah. that was used. There uh, is this kind of indie rock uh, diamond revival thing yeah. happening. Yeah. And, I, and I think they understand that Diamond, uh, even though he's a bit of a, not a bit, he's a big cheese ball. Oh, he's the unrepentant uh, cheese dog. The incredible sincerity of what he's doing oh. is undeniable. Yeah, like the Christmas show I saw him oh, do at the United God. Center in Chicago, where, you know, it comes out with 22,000 people, like, riding a Christmas tree. Oh, he, he's... And he is, uh, you know, a Jew. He's above and beyond. I mean, he is above and beyond. You have to see it to believe it. And, uh, you know, the song I'm going to refer to specifically is Sweet Caroline, but, you know, I don't like the... ABC kind of uh, humdrum verse chorus toothache kind of pop song on the radio but in concert he turns it into this um, <laughs> it, oh, it's a right, William right, Shatner right. kind of moment is all I can tell you it's one of those things it's, it's self-referential he's no longer singing about Caroline he's singing about his audience did you go to his, one of these casinos on the, the reservation to see yeah. Diamond or what did you oh, do oh no no you know Chicago Stadium I got dragged to it by some girlfriend back in the day and, I say alright there's always the context of oh, how yeah. you were introduced yeah so, you know, you hear him do Sweet Caroline live, and it's hands touching hands, reaching out, yes, touching you, touching me, yeah. You know, it's just like the reaction between him and the audience is like this call and response thing that's going on that is really, really strange, and I just can't get enough of it. I mean, the sloppy wet kisses, how can I hurt when I'm here with you? No way. Oh, you know, boy. he's talking to the audience. Just bring it on and get it over with, okay? Sweet Caroline, Neil Diamond, not the, uh, not the pop radio hit from 1969, but a much later concert version of that song, which I think is the definitive Neil Diamond performance. Live Neil Diamond album. Yeah, here it is. Sweet Caroline on Sound Opinion. Where it began I can't begin to know it But then I know that it's growing Was in the spring And spring became the summer Who'd have believed you'd all come along Hands Yeah Touching hands Yeah Reaching out Yeah Touching me You're not singing. <laughs> You're not serious enough about liking this. See how the audience is just filling oh, in all the parts for him and everything. It's uh, it, it is a love fest. It's a Neil oh love God. fest. It is like one of the most extraordinary things 
in pop music. It's beyond my understanding, Mr. Cott, but we are here not to judge. As you know, Greg, uh, I was a uh, teenage progressive rock geek nerd. Yes, you were. This, however, uh, is something I should really be embarrassed about because Gentle Giant was Ooh. one of the most way over the top and, and sort of indefensible progressive rock bands from England in that era of the 70s. You can defend, yes. You can defend uh, <laughs> Genesis uh, to a point. Uh, it starts to get a little more embarrassing with the likes of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. By the time you're getting to Gong and Renaissance and Gentle Giant, there is no hope for you. And Gentle Giant, not only is this a Gentle Giant album, but this is towards the end of Gentle Giant's career. When that interesting thing happened in the mid-70s, after Nevermind the Bullocks, Here's the Sex Pistols, uh, came out and Punk exploded, and suddenly, you know, Yes was doing Going for the One. Shorter songs and punchier. Genesis was, was going, you know, pop, essentially. And, you know, all the progressive rock dinosaurs saw the end coming, and they tried <laughs> to get short and sharp and actually write pop songs, and it resulted in some really good albums. This is the penultimate Gentle Giant album. They were to break up in 1979, but in 78, right after Punk, they put out this album called Giant for a Day that just had these, these absolutely killer pop songs. Except, of course, they were done in 17 eighths time and had, you know, weird violins and flutes and, 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 you know, orchestral sounds on the synthesizer and those, you know, progressive rock vocals. I mean, I'll never understand how could it have been that everybody started, you know, men, big hairy men, ugly men, <laughs> why they started to sing three octaves above their range. I don't know why. I, I don't know why. But this is the opening track on uh, – there, there were so many great songs I could have played from this album, Giant for a Day. The title track itself is great, great stuff. Oh, Giant my for God. A day. But this is, this is a song called Words – to the Wise by Gentle Giant from the 78 album Giant for a Day. Words from the wise encourage you, carries all you're taking on. <laughs> Words from the wise discourage too many people when things go wrong. Words from the wise We're going to continue, Mr. Cott, to uh, bear our souls and our deepest, darkest, uh, uncoolest secrets. So Guilty Pleasures are going to continue with uh, some of our listeners' suggestions as well as more of yours and mine on sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Jim and I are exploring the nether regions of our musical souls tonight. We are bearing our guilty pleasures, the records we feel a little bit guilty about liking, or maybe a lot guilty. But nonetheless, we're talking about them, we're playing them, but we could not do this alone. We went to some of our listeners to have them reveal their guiltiest pleasures, and uh, let's go to some calls right now. All right, we're going to talk to Mary Beth from Brooklyn. Uh, Mary Beth, welcome to Sound Opinions. We're talking guilty pleasures, so you understand the concept, right? Yeah. Okay, Mary Beth, what is it? <laughs> Anything from new Liz Fair albums. Oh, <laughs> that is something truly to be ashamed of. <laughs> <laughs> I particularly enjoy listening to Why Can't I? It's an excellent sing-along song. Now, did you like Liz Fair before she started to suck? Well, the reason that I still like to listen to her is because I was a huge fan of her first four albums, three or four albums. Uh-huh. Oh, see, that's a wrong answer. I mean, if you were going to say that you'd never gotten into Liz until the last two records, I could... Oh, would that be almost... more guilty? Well, no, I could sort of understand it, but having known good Liz, yeah. like, you know, Exile on, in Guyville or Whip Smart, I, I don't understand how you could forgive current Liz. I guess that's where the guilt comes in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's having let it, trouble letting go. I mean, obviously, uh, so the first record came out in uh, in 93, and obviously it hit you at a point in your life where it probably meant something quite a bit to you, and it's hard to believe that Liz has gone where she's gone, isn't it? Yeah, I saw her for the first time in concert in 94, and then I saw her actually on her last tour. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was pretty different. She played some of the new crap, and it was pretty crappy, but I still knew all the words. Wow. All right, let, let's hear it. Do you, now, you know we mean this with love, right? And so when we listen to this, Liz, and our venom becomes renewed, you won't take it personally, right? Sure, go ahead. All right. All right. <laughs> get a load of me, get a load of you Walking down the street and I hardly know you It's just like we were meant to be Holding hands with you my goodness. <laughs> I got to tell you, you know, and I say this with all sincerity, my nine-year-old has been uh, voraciously listening to Allie and AJ, and, and both of them not only sing better than Liz, but actually the songs are better Ooh. these days. And I used to love Liz. So, Mary Beth, were you, are you old enough to remember the glory days of Def Leppard? <laughs> <laughs> right on the cusp. Because that sort of reminds me of those kind of... You know, big, stupid Def Leppard songs. I mean, they were just like, they would lodge in your brain, and no matter what you did, they were still in there, and you knew they sucked, but nonetheless, that and, hook was still in your brain and for w- months when and months. when the recording studio, when she's in the recording studio, they pull yeah. up the giant tanker truck full of reverb, <laughs> and they just hose it down on everything. She does love the reverb on her latest album. Oh, my God. And you know, they have this program. I don't know if you know about this. It's called Auto-Tune. Uh-huh. I could... I could put myself into it and suddenly sing like Aretha Franklin. (laughs) 
and you know I, I can imagine that the lighters are going up at the concerts and you know when when it comes on the radio in your car you're reaching for that volume knob aren't you Mary Beth and turning it I'm up just a little bit real loud. and you're singing real loud there you go wow <laughs> all right well we forgive you Mary Beth thank you for for being brave enough to share that with us thanks a lot guys all right we're gonna talk to John in Cleveland hey John welcome to Sound Opinions man hey thanks for having me the topic of today is uh, guilty pleasures right. Let's let's mix things up a little bit here, and let's hear this uh, song first. Our producers have, have asked people what their guilty pleasures are, but you and me, Greg, we don't know yet. We're going to be hearing it for the first time. Right. All right, here it is. They got it queued up for you. Well, there really ain't no use in stopping what nobody never told me not to do. So I'll keep people watching, watching me now, finding my way back to as lonely as we wanted to be We're all as lonely as we wanted to be I'm just as lonely as I wanted to be I'm just you You're just me It's only true If we believe Now, <laughs> you're in good company there It sold a bazillion copies Jack Johnson, the Curious George soundtrack It's one of the big ones Anybody right. who's uh, barefoot and hangs out in surf clubs and then sing songs about monkeys. I mean, it's a killer combination. Well, and or if they have a, a you know an eight or nine year old, is that? I mean, are you getting this through your kids or are you actually liking this, John? Well, I do have a child, but I uh, actually he doesn't even listen to it. But I, you know, I think it's important to say that you know one person's guilty pleasure is another another person's mainstay. This know? is true. So Absolutely. Obviously, there's a lot of people that like that Jack Johnson. It's just that in my yeah, but, but a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, you know, still go to see Barry Manilow play. And they right. pay like three hundred dollars. Sure. <laughs> well, so what is it that works about it for you? Being a, a working guy, a working stiff with kids, and the pressures and stress that come with everyday life—it's just uh, you know, listen to Jack Johnson sing these songs, and it's never you know heavy material. It's always about the good things and, and the small things in life. And you know, you imagine yourself wishing you could be living in Hawaii and surfing like he does. <laughs> all right, all right. So it's the lifestyle more than anything. That's I, I guess it's an escapism. I can see how that would look good in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> we forgive you. There's no, you know, both Cotton and I are both lapsed Catholics. Uh, yeah, uh, we absolve you of your guilt. Guilt is part John, of our yeah. lifestyle oh, too. This counts as confession, then. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> You're covered now through Easter. All right, great. You've been absolved. Right. Thanks for the dispensation, <laughs> Father Greg and Father Jim. Absolve you. <laughs> you <laughs> <laughs> Absolve you, my son. Uh, thank you, John. Take care, guys. All right, we are talking to Mike from Chicago. He's got a guilty pleasure for us. Mike, welcome to Sound Opinions. How you guys doing? Good. We're doing great. Yeah. Well, are you about to uh, expose yourself here on national radio? <laughs> yeah. What do you got for us? I got Gordon Lightfoot. Oh, that's pretty. You know, now wait. This is great though, because I love to tell this story. You know, mm-hmm. Mr. Cott here is such an obsessive. Record collector, CD collector. When I go to his basement, it never fails to amaze me. He has about four rooms that are ceiling to floor, thousands, <laughs> thousands of CDs. I got to say, I don't keep everything I get because it would be physically impossible. I don't have the room, right? Not only does Greg have the obligatory Gordon Lightfoot best of, he's got like all 12 Gordon Lightfoot original <laughs> albums. So you're not going to sound too guilty here. Yeah. But what in particular? Uh, sundown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mike's, Mike's really going through some angst here, man. Yeah. You know, what, what, okay, Mike. That's so something to confess to. Give us, a his- give us a little history. You, well, you fell in love with this song, and why, why, do you, why are you still in love with it? Well, seventh grade choir class, we're singing all these John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt songs, 
Mm-hmm. You know, third week, the guy was passing out music, and it happened to be sundown. He starts playing, and I fell in love with the song. Wow. Been into it ever since. And how does it compare, on, like, to the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald? I don't. That's I don't know. All the old timers like that song. Oh, uh, but the new wave revival starts yeah. with Sunday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can see her lying back in her satin. Well, you know, I've got to say, seventh. So a bunch of seventh graders were singing that song. Isn't that a little bit uh, a little risque? and risque for a seventh grade class to be singing. The guy got fired the next year. <laughs> Something oh. happened at the school. I'm not going to say what. He was creeping around the back stair. You, you might, yeah. Who knows? Oh, that was great. That that's a guilty pleasure. That is 100 percent guilty. Thank you, Mike. Uh, no problem. Thank you for sharing. The great first choice. step. First step, Mike, is admitting you have a problem. <laughs> it is definitely. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mike. Okay. Let's go to another call on Sound Opinions. Welcome to Matt from Chicago. Matt, uh, you're on Sound Opinions, and we're talking guilty pleasures, and I know you're just dying to uh, unburden yourself, aren't you? That's right. (laughs) Um, Big country. Ah. I can understand you've been carrying this horrible weight around for for years and years. I was hugely into them in high school, something about bagpipes and rock and roll. I guess I just love that, but I actually didn't drop them the way most people did after that first record and oh he goes deep into the big country catalog <laughs> well when the seer came out which was i think their third record that's when i really started to get it into the band so you're going to go deep on us you're not going to play the obvious in a big country or right. what was the other big hit uh from that first album fields of fire uh, fields of fire <laughs> we're not going to play the obvious songs you're going to you're going to play something off the seer for us right yeah okay let's um, let, let's let's hear your deep guilty pleasure here well it's it's the song look away which actually was a single off that record okay and you know it, it, it switches temples a little bit it, it, it rocks a little bit it still has some of that big country uh bagpipey sound to it, but to all my friends' chagrin, I stole that house. Alright, let's, let's hear a little bit. <laughs> You know, it sounds, I mean, just listening to it now, I'm realizing maybe it's not that good after all. All right, we want to uh, draw out your guilt even further here, Matt. Okay. Embarrass you publicly as much as possible before we let you go. You had indicated before that you'd, uh, your guilt it was brought upon by your friend's ridicule. Is that the primary reason you're uh, you're guilty about this? this yeah, I mean, track? this was like in, you know, and I was in, in high school, I was into REM and the replacements and, and music like that, but for some reason... And you too, but big country. I was, I think I was one of, there was one other guy in my class, and we were like the only two dudes who were into big country. And <laughs> we would try to spread the word, and every time we did, people would just 
derisively, you know, imitates that bagpipe sound and just start <laughs> making fun of us. I so. mean, so, so you're sitting there in class and you're, like, writing Big Country on the cover of your notebooks and Exactly. Stuff? Yes. I bought yeah. Steel Town, that second record, which I don't think anyone else in the U.S. had that record. And <laughs> <laughs> I think they're out of print. Yeah, but listen, hey, you know, this whole guilt thing, it's all a spectrum. Because there are, like, actual people in the world today who follow Umphreys McGee from city to city. Yes. You know what I mean? It's, true. it's all just, it's, it's all relative. relative. Yeah. <laughs> well, it used to bother me, but now I, I just figure, who cares? You know, I, I'll just like what I like. Some of it's good, some of it might be crap, but... There you go. Yes, as, you know, as Philip Zemore Hoffman, as Lester Bang says in Almost Famous, the only true currency is what we share when we're both uncool. That's right. <laughs> so, thank you, Matt. No problem. Uh, it's good to hear that sad parade of confessions there, Jim, because uh, it's given me the courage to go on with my own <laughs> soul-bearing here. We are on uh, Guilty Pleasures. We're talking about the records that we are almost ashamed to admit that we love, but nonetheless, we can't help ourselves. And a lot of these uh, records, I think, hit us. It's, it's safe to say, Jim, that uh, these records hit us at an emotional s- sweet spot, at an emotional <laughs> moment in our lives, and we've never been able to forget it. Despite our better instincts, we, we keep going back to it. For my next guilty pleasure, I have to. I know exactly where I was and when I started loving this band. It was a Grand Funk Railroad. Um, oh. I have no justification for loving Grand Funk Railroad other than they were one of the first musical experiences I ever had as a kid. The first rock concert I ever went to, the first rock record I ever bought was by this band for no other reason than I'd heard one of their songs on the radio and I said, gee, that sounds kind of cool it, it to my mind it defined what rock and roll should be yeah i mean can you imagine having a you know a stunted childhood like that grand funk railroad defines <laughs> to you what what rock and roll is maybe that explains a lot of my reviews lately i don't well, know well it should be noted that we were not of that age in the 60s it wasn't the beatles yeah, we were getting you know and it wasn't really until the 70s till i discovered these guys they were out of flint michigan they were sort of a poor man's uh, blues rock power trio they wanted to be cream they wanted to be hendrix they ended up being more like Foghat. Kind of a, a pedestrian uh, boogie band, a people's band. Jim, that's code for they, they suck, according to critics, you know. But, but they did. Uh, yeah. I, I went back and listened to the records, and, and it was very, very clunky blues rock. But, man, they sold a lot of records, and they played to, like, 50,000 people at Shea Stadium. I mean, yeah. I mean they really did move the, move the tickets. And I think one of the reasons that they did... A lot of people talk about these guys as sort of mooks, you know, like kind mm-hmm. of the progenitors of Kid Rock and, and uh, Limp Biscuit and Corn bands like that. Kind of dumb, dunderhead, white guys singing about Nookie, you know. Yeah. But these guys actually <laughs> – these guys And your point? And my point is that these guys had soul. Uh, unlike oh, unlike oh. the original, uh, and now you're trying to justify the unjustified. No, no, no. Listen, listen to this. Uh, they were mooks, but they had soul. They had sensitivity. They had compassion. <laughs> they wrote songs. I mean, you know, people. Let's stop the war. I mean, this, this is one of the first songs I heard about. You know, first protest songs I ever heard. It was on that uh, E Pluribus Funk record. <laughs> it was shaped like a silver dollar, and it had foot stomping music on it, which is oh, the reason boy. I bought that record in the first place. But then they had the song "People Let's Stop the War," and I go, uh-huh. "Wow." They're, they're protesting the war. I mean... What an idea. What an amazing thing to you, do. You were how old rock record. The, when uh, E. Like Pluribus Funk thir- came out? 13 or something right. like that. Explains it all. And there's a great line in your Mark Farner saying, there's money in them war machines. Now ain't this a bitch. And oh, I just, man. You know, I just want to say, right on, man. Fight the war. <laughs> Power to the people. Uh, I mean, they, they, they wanted the war to stop, and they said, let the people, let's stop the war right now. Yeah. I, I, just, I, I just admire the... Just the 
the sweethearted, dumb sincerity of that st- sentiment. It's just a slight hair behind Masters of War. Yeah. Dylan. So here it is. Grand Funk Railroad, people, let's stop the war. I can't justify my love for this band, but they were my first. And here they are in Sound of Pimpers. these lines if we had a president that did just what he said the country would be just all right and no one would be dead how about if somebody, i mean that's brilliant it's just waiting for somebody to remake it today <laughs> in the present context oh my god enough of your guilt mr cott i'm gonna uh spread some of mine this actually is going to explain the reference for people who didn't get it that i made a couple of weeks ago when we were reviewing idlewild by outcast the soundtrack i made this point that i was at the movies, and I saw I saw the trailer for Outcast, and then right afterwards I saw this new soft drink commercial that brought this song back, and it brought me back to this movie, which is uh, something that my wife and I love very much. We were both kids when we first saw it, and it was one of those things that we bonded. You know, this is you had to be of a certain age, and then this movie was was burned into your memory banks. Except it, it's it's not even available on DVD today. Yeah. Now Alan Parker is a serious director, and he's always kind of done interesting things with music. Sometimes good, interesting. Sometimes bad. He he directed Pink Floyd's The Wall, right? And he he, he also directed Fame. Mm. He directed Birdie, which had all those great Peter Gabriel songs. But he also did the the ultra cheesy Angel Heart and Evita. And he made this movie in 1976, right before he made Midnight Express. It's called Bugsy Malone. Again, I, I saw this. It's now powering this big fancy soft drink commercial, and, I, and but it's similar to Idlewild, where Outkast are rolling around in the 30s playing, you know, gangsters in the South. Bugsy Malone is an all kitty cast playing 1930s gangsters in Chicago hmm. or, or New York. I, I think the city's not exactly named. You know, heightened realism is not uh, an attribute of this movie because there's big machine gun fights. Uh, the, the machine guns shoot whipped cream, <laughs> you know. And but, but they're all kids, and the kids include Scott Bayo and uh, Jodie Foster. And it's a musical. And uh, Parker apparently went to Paul Williams. He was a big fan of the uh, singer-songwriter Paul Williams. He went out to Vegas and sat with Williams in between his sets in Vegas and said, you know, I need you to write these songs. And, and they collaborated, and Williams, like, wrote them all right off the bat. And they're just insanely catchy and silly. And I think that older singers dubbed all the actresses and actors' voices. I have one of those Chinese bootlegs I had to get, a, a Chinese bootleg DVD. It's not available, <laughs> barely is acknowledged. Jodie Foster, like, doesn't ever talk about it. Anyway, this is the big climactic after the giant machine gun whipped cream fight you know, the ends of the movie. This is the climactic song. And it's also the one in that commercial now, in case uh, you're, you're at the movies and you see it. It's called You Give a Little Love. We could have been anything that 
That's the big climactic ending from Bugsy Malone. You give a little love. Wow. I think you probably had to see the movie to fully appreciate that, huh? I think it's a, it's a catchy <laughs> tune. Catchy tune, man. Jim, that is very big of you to admit that. Your guilt is I share switched. that with my wife, though. I'm not going to take that, that, that alone. <laughs> We're both guilty. We are going to share some more guilt with you in a moment. We're also going to have some callers who are going to reveal their guilty pleasures as well on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, although maybe we should have changed our names for this show <laughs> because we are we're guilty about taking pleasure in the music we've been playing. Hopefully uh, you've had some laughs and it hasn't just been torture, but let's hear some more from our listeners uh, because everybody has these. It's not just us. Hey, Sarah, welcome to Sound Opinions. Hi. So you understand the idea of the guilty pleasure, right? Yes, and I'm... Now I'm feeling extra guilty because I've never had to talk about it on national radio before. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't given your last name. Okay, good. Well, lay it on us. I picked 
Poison by Belle Biv DeVoe. Wow, cool. I thought for a minute she was going to go with Poison the Hair Metal Band, which <laughs> no. truly would have mi- almost been too shameful for us to delve into. Yeah, that I don't think been, I could have done that. That could have been the indefensible. But I think uh, Belle Biv DeVoe, you could make the case. Now, yeah, wh- I kind of picked it because of the whole genre of early 90s hip-hop I kind of listened to. Why the guilt? Just because when I listen to it and people hear me listening to it, they give me that look on their face. <laughs> they kind of, and they were always considered kind of a kiddie band. You might as well sort of say crisscross at this point. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, they were not considered serious hip hoppers necessarily. Right. Well, I, I consider them because I was a little bit too young for New Edition, so I didn't really listen to New Edition. So I only know them as Belle Biv DeVoe. Now, the one, the one thing that I think I find troublesome with some of that some of the pop music from various eras is that sometimes you listen to the production 15 years later and it really sounds dated and it really sounds of its time. How does Belle Biv DeVoe, how does that record it's sound? It's pure nostalgia for me. I understand yeah. what you're coming from, but it's just pure nostalgia. I listen to it and I'm immediately back in sixth grade in the basement <laughs> of my cousin's house making up dances to it. Even though now I listen to the lyrics today and I was like, oh, this is kind of indefensible, but I'm still going to go with it. All right, All right let, let, let's hear some Belle Biv DeVoe. Oh, yeah. Girl, I must warn you I sense something strange in my mind Yo, situation is Let's cure it cause we're running out of time It's all so beautiful Relationships they seem from the start It's all so Sarah's having a field day. Listen to her in there. Sarah can't stop dancing. Are you dancing I just around? I was waiting for that part to come on, the, you know, what they just said. Well, she's bugging out. Isn't that what they did back in, like, 91? They were bugging out? I got to say, that is sort of the worst elements of, uh, of 80s hip-hop. That is the worst drum machine. That's a little something to be ashamed of. But, yes. uh, but, yeah, but I, I'm you know, glad I feel better for it, confessing it to you guys. And the first step is admitting you have a problem, Sarah. <laughs> I'll work on it. <laughs> All right. Thank All right, you very much. I love the show, guys. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. We're on the line with Scott from Minneapolis. Scott, welcome to Sound Opinions. Well, thanks. Have you got a guilty pleasure for us? Well, I do. It's nothing fashionable. Maybe it never was fashionable, but I'll tell you, an album I've always liked is Todd Rundgren's Acapella from 1985, ah. and specifically a track called Lockjaw. Wow, so you're digging deep for sure, because this is this is not Todd's most loved period as a recording artist. Everybody loves Rundgren with Naz and the 70s solo stuff and maybe up through Bang on the Drum all day in the pre early 80s. post-Utopia? Yeah, this is post-Utopia. Post-Utopia. Yeah. And I've, I'll tell you, I've never really been into Rundgren that much, nor Utopia or Naz at all. Okay, so, so you're this not... album just kind of hooked me. So this is, this is obscure. I don't know this song. Do you, Greg? Not at all. All right, let's hear if, if uh, Scott has anything he has to be guilty about. Oh, 
lives an ogre named Lockjaw. Lockjaw doesn't like children who tell lies. Late at night, he stalks the houses of the fibbers and the falsifiers. And before they can cry out from their beds, he nails their jaws open with a rusty nail, using his head for a hammer. You might escape him for a while and think you fooled him, but he'll get you in the end. He'll get you. He'll get you. Wow. Scott, I'd say your guilt is well-earned, buddy. <laughs> did, did he, in fact, record... I mean, are those all sounds made with his voice? Well, that is that was the, kind of, the idea behind that record? Yeah, that was like the concept album. Is like, let's try this with my own voice. But, uh, yeah, he made all those sounds with his vocal cords and all that, which is kind of a gimmick. But at the same time, you know, I think the sound really has some meat to it. If, if it goes on and, and really tells kind of a fun story and uh, has a great ending... <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's kind of atypical. I think a lot of his stuff is just kind of this thin, thin stuff that has a synthy wash in the background, and it doesn't seem to have much meat to it. But this one, you know, really gets gets a good beat going, and it really has some substance. How did you find out about this yeah. record? I mean, it must have sold all of, what, seven copies to all the Rundgren files out there, and that was it. Well, I was kind of into electronic music at the time, and I was following different artist and this one came up as kind of an oddity and i tried it and really liked it there you go all right all right well hey you schooled us on it great Th- thanks for calling man thank you very much like okay. your show we're sharing the guilt let's go to another call on sound opinions we're on with david from milwaukee david welcome to sound opinions hey guys how you guys doing we're doing great tell you what let's hear it first then we'll tell and you then. if you have to be guilty or not <laughs> Now, especially uh, especially here in Chicago, where the great Scott Stapp meltdown happened and Creed imploded, and the, he, he wasn't drunk. He the fans was, sued him. Yeah, they the fans sued, sued him. him. They Creed Creed is a band that was so bad, its its own fans <laughs> sued it. <laughs> now, how can you defend that? Well, I think that um, when you're saying guilty pleasure, a lot of people take guilty pleasures that you can kind of laugh at, but you say it's catchy, it's good. Creed's the kind of one where I told my friends, I said, "Yeah, this is my guilty pleasure," and then they kind of roll their eyes, turn away, pretend they don't know me. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's really, that's really something to be guilty about. It's so, a true guilty pleasure, and I don't know why, but it's just, this is the only Creed song which I really can defend, and I do like. I think that, it, if anything, give the producer a lot of credit for making it such a good rock song. Yeah, yeah. Well, which one was that, anyway? Oh, my Sacrifice. That's My yeah, Sacrifice. Okay. I mean, I can't tell them apart. They all sound the same. <laughs> yeah. Once we got first that, past that first bellow, we never quite got to the yeah, actual yeah, yeah. content right. of the song. All right. Yeah, that's definitely a guilty one. I don't know. I don't know. All right, but we, we forgive you. Thank you, David. You're welcome, guys. It's good to know we're not alone in being guilty, Mr. Cott. Our listeners share it with yeah. us. Uh, you got brave, one more? brave, Yes. You got one more guilty pleasure, I got one more, and then uh, we're going to bury this show for some time to come. I, I hear you. I got a stack of guilty pleasures here, Jim, but uh, the one I'm going to reach for is uh, a song from uh, 1967. It was a number six top ten hit. It's from Sonny and Cher. And, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't even remember who Sonny Bono was other than the fact that he was once married to, you know, one of the biggest female icons of the last half century. Yeah. And in fact, that's 
pretty much a fair assessment of the man's career. I mean, he was a, a lovable schlub. I mean, he was kind of one of those guys who, who rose way beyond any level of fame that people expected of him. He was a serious, like, Brill Bill-era songwriter, and and he was an assistant to Phil Spector. Yes, indeed. So he had musical chops. Yeah, he was with Spector and and Jack Nietzsche, and he was the one writing the songs, producing the songs in a sort of a faux Phil Spector style, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and doing a nice job of it. At the same time, you can't help but look back at a lot of those songs and realize, you know, just what absolute schlock they were. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What I love, though, is the song The Beat Goes On, because in 67, Cher was all already starting to chafe under Sonny's tutelage. You know, she was long. ready to start moving on to a solo career. And you can hear it in this song. I mean, she absolutely phones in her performance. She doesn't understand Sonny's lyrics all that much. She doesn't really care that much. It's pretty clear in her performance. But Sonny, I, the reason I love this song is Sonny is just just putting his whole heart in this song. He wrote it. He produced it. Yeah. He's got these dumb lyrics, but he's singing every line like he meant it. And he's actually trying to put some feeling and some passion and some <laughs> phrasing into it. I love the You're way... defending Sonny Bono. Sonny Bono, great vocal performance on this oh song. Oh, my God. Uh, almost in spite of himself. The greatest vocal performance of his career. He's trying to act all blasé and cool, you know, the la di da di da He's trying to be the hipster, and they got the you know the finger claps going on, but then oh, lot, the word reminisce becomes remonis. Remonis. And, uh, you know, cars keep going faster all the time. I mean, that's just the way he's pronouncing the words. The way he phrases these lines, are, it's just hilarious. I love it. Uh, Sonny Bono, who steals the show from his uh, paramour. I love, I love, I love the big furry half. The furry vest he would wear. Yeah. Oh, my God. He was, yeah, a, a joke, but a lovable joke. Sonny and Cher, the beat goes on on Sound Opinions. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 da. Grandma's sitting chairs and rim on this. Boys keep chasing girls to get a kiss. Keep a going fast all the time. Mom still cries, hey buddy, have you got a dime? And the beat goes on. You know, I think that uh, cops ought to be able to give out tickets for egregious use of horns. Without a doubt, everything about that song is wrong, and yet Sonny is so right because he so believes in this piece of crap that he wrote. I got one more. I got one more, Greg. And uh, second only to Black Eyed Peas, I got more hate mail about this. I still have people <laughs> throwing it to me. Uh, so this is your revenge. This is my revenge because I, I make no apologies for liking this. Look, there ha- is always going to be a need for bubblegum pop music. You and I had a very difficult stretch there as critics <laughs> for a period after the heyday of alternative rock when some actual interesting artistic albums were becoming multi-platinum hits. It, it all ended so quickly, yes. and suddenly there was NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys and Britney and Christina. I thought that was a very bad period for bubblegum music. You know, there's always been bubblegum. There always will be. You go back to Herman's Hermits, and you go to Lulu, and you go to uh, the Monkees and the Archies and all those cartoon bands. Kids Eight, nine, ten-year-old kids need an introduction to popular music. Mm-hmm. They are not going to dive headfirst 
into Gentle Giant, for example. <laughs> you know, they need a, they need a path, and I'm all for that. I think that's fine. I think it's good to have good, stupid, dumb, sickly, sweet bubblegum pop. All right. I think that Hillary Duff represented Uh-oh. a very, very Here we good. Go. You know, and and I think Ashley Simpson too, for that matter. I was torn. Am I going to go for the Ashley or the Hillary in this <laughs> slot? I'm going for the Hillary because well, she's the uh, good girl, right? Ashley's kind Hillary, of the Hillary's a good girl. So is Ashley to an extent. You know, I mean, Hillary uh, sings about sex, but in PG-13 terms. And now as the father of a nine-year-old, that's about what I want her to hear. I'm going to play this song, Why Not?, which uh, is exactly the sort of energetic explosion you want a kid to have. Why not take a crazy chance? Why not do a crazy dance? You know, and it's, it's basically saying carpe diem, live for the moment. Yeah. You know, when I saw her in concert, I mean, it's a funny story. I was sitting a row behind Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, <laughs> who was there with his tween daughter and like eight of her friends. I mean, what a good sport. The governor was there, two bodyguards at the end of the aisle, right? right? You know, and he's there and he turns to me and he's just like, he, he recognized me as the critic from the newspaper and he's just like, can you? you believe we're here. And suddenly we had this moment that bonded. He's like, yeah, well, that's what dads do. You know what I mean? This is an act that governors and nine-year-old girls can like alike. And uh, I love Hillary Duff. This is Why Not on Sound Opinions. Hillary Duff, why not? She's great. She was just sang for 80 minutes. No vocal enhancement. None of that. None of that pitch tuning. Never changed her, her, her outfit. No phony. None of that Jessica Simpson phoniness. She was jumping up and down, sweating. She covered the Go Go's and she covered the Who. I think there's gonna. Hillary's got a future. <laughs> oh, getting on. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Um, that was fun. Next week, we are pleased to have as our guests Glenn Kochi, the drummer supreme for the band Wilco, as well as numerous, numerous side projects. Everybody kind of knows him as the drummer for Wilco, but the stuff that he's doing outside of Wilco, it's amazing. Really it's really It's essentially a one-man stuff. band thing from yeah. behind the drum set. Yeah. So we're going to explore that with him, as well as discuss, in general, some of his thoughts about rock drumming today. Got some thank yous to say on the way out. You know, I think next time we ought to let these guys jump in here and get their guilty pleasures. Yeah. Uh, Tori, never guilty, Southside Malatia is our executive producer. Todd Bachman is our managing producer and director. Matt Fingerspiegel is our producer. Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn are our associate producers. We get technical help from Joe Dassault and legal help from Dino Armiros. We might need some legal help after this show. <laughs> and Jim Russell is a man who never makes us guilty over at American Public Media. Thanks for listening. Now we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good.